Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. So uh, let's start with a prayer. So Lord, we just ask that uh, Spirit would guide us, you would open our hearts. Lord, that anything that you want to say that we would receive, Lord, I know you want to say something to every person, so help us to key in on that. And Lord, I pray that the other stuff that's not of you would just fall away. And uh, we thank you for your goodness. We pray that everyone here would leave changed in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, when we got here about 14 years ago, we got this uh, like a tough shed kind of thing and uh, made a really fancy homeschool room in our backyard and um, did a pretty good job on the shed, you know, put carpet in there and insulated it and finished the walls and ran electricity to it. Got this thing all ready to go, ready to homeschool. I think Maddie, she was in fifth grade or something like that. But the one thing that we forgot to take into consideration is that Gina and I are horrible at homeschooling. We, like our kids, they just got dumber every, you know, like as they were going like, this is not helping and we got to stop this. We're, we're damaging our children here uh, under our tutelage and they're not learning. So uh, it was about like a semester, I think, of homeschool and Maddie and are like, this is this just not us. Now, I mean, some people are great at it, but we're not. And so we had to take that shed, figure out what to do with it and change the plans. And so it became uh, Naya's like little playhouse for a while. That was kind of cool. She had all her stuff there. Uh, But now that three out of four of my kids are gone, it's just a place where like their stuff sits. And I just wanted to know like some empty nesters here is how long do I have to keep their stuff? Like, uh, can I get rid of their stuff? Maybe I should just put it out in the lawn. You guys should come pick it up. But I'm kind of sick of carrying their stuff. Everything, and I've talked to a few people now. They're like, you keep it forever. And so that's not, I'm not excited about that. But we had to change, uh, change the plans uh, with this shed uh, because we didn't take some things into consideration. I mean, we didn't know one big important part of the plan is you actually have to be competent. And we weren't competent at it. And we're in the series right now, uh, WWJU. Now, you've probably seen WWJU. WJD, what would Jesus do? And no, we don't have any bracelets or anything like that. Uh, but this uh, series is what would Jesus undo? What would Jesus want to change in our lives? What would he want to erase? What would he want to change? And uh, we're going to start today talking about our plans. See, I think that God would take many of our plans, many of our expectations and say, that's actually not my plan. That is not what I'm doing, and that's not where I'm going, and I want to undo what you're trying to do here. And so we're going to take a look here in the book of James, if you have your Bible. We're not going to stay, this isn't our primary passage, but I did want to begin here, and it's James 4, 13. And he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why do you, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Are you, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. And then we could do a whole sermon, and maybe a whole series on this next uh, verse here. What a powerful verse. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So that's an important place to begin. Now, when we think about 
the, the things that God tells us to do, when we think about our plans, if God gives you direction, if God says, this is the good thing I want you to do, and you say, mm, I don't think so. That's actually sin. Now, when I look at this passage there, I'm thinking, okay, so is God against planning? Is he against retirement accounts? Is he against business strategies? And the answer is no, not at all. In fact, we see that there's planning there. It's just that it needs to start with if it is God's will. There's still a plan there, but we're looking for God's will. And so what, what James is saying God is against here is he is against this unchecked, self-directed living that so many of us live. I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna do that. And then I'm gonna do this, and then I'm gonna do this. And God says, are you sure? Because you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. I mean, he, he has the whole future. He has, he has everything in his hands. He knows how it's really going to go. 1500 BC, uh, the queen of Egypt, a hat she put, she, she created this obelisk. And it was, uh, it's like Washington Monument is one, you know, these big spires. And the idea is, is that it was gonna go up and it was uh, 33% bigger than anyone that had ever been created up until that day. And her idea was she's gonna make this big monument that pierces the sky to worship her son god, Ra. And so they started hewing this thing out of the, of the granite. And uh, you can see like uh, how, how they used um, wood chips and they would actually, um, the wood would expand and that would help them as they kind of cut it. And it's just hand tools and they're carving this massive thing. And it actually, um, it got stopped in its tracks. We have a picture of it, you can see it right now. And so they got this far with it. And the problem is right before they were about to finish it, they realized that the granite that they were working on was cracked. Now, how would you like to be the general contractor on that project? Queen, we have a problem. We're almost done. See, but they didn't know. And so many of us, see, we're building this thing and we're working on this thing. We've got this plan, but we don't realize that the granite is cracked. It's a two million pound obelisk. It's worthless because what they were building it on and what they were building it out of. And I think that works often for our plans of what are we building on? What are we using here? And see, the problem here that James is bringing forward to us is, is that the plans for our lives are not submitted to the Lord of our life. And so what do we do? Well, what we do is we tack the words, well, if it's God's will on, right? So in five years, I'm gonna be the top selling agent. Oh, if it's God's will, right? Now, come on. That's just trying to put a little Jesus ribbon on our plans, right? Just saying, oh yeah, okay, well, I'll, yeah, God, God. We'll, we'll include him on this thing. And so the question really, is this God's plan or is this your plan? And I think many of us, we're misliving this beautiful promise of Jeremiah 29, 11. And we live it like this. You know the plans you have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper yourself, not to harm yourself, Right? Of course, Jeremiah 29, 11 doesn't say that. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans. But see, they're his plans. They're not our plans. And we need to check in with him and find out, okay, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? Because if Jesus is Lord, that's what we say, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If Jesus is Lord, 
It's not to get him on board with our plans. It is to discern his will and his plan and implement them. See, not only does God get to shape them, not only does he give, get to give them, but we need to implement his plan for our life. And I want God to undo our plans and give us his plans. So I got a great example. And so this is the passage we're gonna really spend the rest of our time on. It's in Numbers of a plan that drastically change, changes. So if you have your Bible, Numbers 22, and we're gonna start with verse eight here. And so what's going on is Israel's just about to go into the promised land and they encounter uh, the Moabites. And so actually God told them, uh, I don't want you to attack Moab. I want you to just kind of go around them and then go in towards Jericho. <clears throat> but Balak, the king of the Moabites, he sees all these people and he's like, there's this horde and it's like oxen just licking up the grass. I mean, they're gonna, there's no way that I can take these people out. It's too much for me. So he hires a, a seer named uh, Balaam. And he says, okay, now you prophesy Balaam over Israel and what I want you to do is curse them. And if you curse them, then perhaps, perhaps I'll be able to defeat them in battle. And so he brings a whole bunch of men over to Balaam and he gives them all sorts of money. And he says, okay, now you go ahead and, uh, and, and put the curse on him. And so we're gonna pick up in verse eight. After they've offered him the money, after Balak is trying to get it going. And this is what Balaam says. He says, spend the night here and I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite princes stayed with him. And God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Now the first thing that you need to understand here is Balaam is not a follower of Yahweh. We find in other passages, in Judges, and in uh, the New Testament, that, that he's a diviner. He's a wicked diviner. And, the, and so what is he? He's like a false prophet. And what he, he takes like animal guts and he puts them out on a table and he reads them to tell you your future. And this guy's actually internationally known. There, there are sources outside of the Bible that talk about Balaam and his prophecies that have been uh, excavated and found. So people from all over like, okay, let's get Balaam in on this. Let's get him to do his curse to work really his sorcery, okay? And so what happens is they come and they say, okay, we're gonna give you the money. And, and he's like, all right, good. I got another gig here. And he goes in, but something different happens this time. This time he encounters the living God. And God comes, he says, uh-uh, you're not doing it. Now that's really exciting to me. Because here we have the children of God, of Israel. And I want to remind you, you are a child of God in Jesus. And what we have God doing is he's out there working. I mean, they don't even know what's going on. And God is protecting them and fighting for them and caring for them. And I want to encourage you that God is doing the same thing for you. That there's things that, that are going on out here that you don't even know about and God is working there on your behalf saying, no, 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 say, this is my child. This is one of my children. You don't get to do that to them. You don't get to curse them. They are blessed because they are mine. That's really exciting that God is watching his own. All right, so Balak says no, but then they come back with more money 
And they come back with a, a bigger group saying, come on, Balaam, you gotta help us. This is our only, our only hope. So let's see what happens in verse 18 after they ask again. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. And that night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Now this is the part this passage, I was actually reading this in my quiet time a number of weeks ago. I think I may have shared this idea. And it was, it, this just hit me like, oh. And so it's when Balaam, this verse right here, the whole story is, is this is the most powerful one for me personally. He said, I cannot do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. And this is the thought that came as I was praying on that verse. I thought, Carl, can you at least, can you at least be as righteous and have the same standards as high as a sorcerer? Can you at least get that far? I mean, look at the fear of God. This guy, I mean, he's a wicked sorcerer. And he says, I will not do one thing beyond what God tells me to do. And I thought, do you have that same fear of the Lord? Do I have that same mindset? I mean, when I'm up here talking, I mean, I will not say one word beyond what God has given me. And I won't give one word less than what God has given me. When I'm looking for the plans that I have for my life, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna miss one thing he tells me to do and I'm not gonna do one thing beyond what he tells me to do. Wow. I mean, Jesus lived the exact same way in 519 of John. He says, I will only, only do what the Father is doing. No more no less. So what would Jesus undo? Well, I think he would undo our great hubris and our great pride that proclaims Jesus is Lord, but lives that we are. Lives life like we're in control, like it's our plans, like Jesus' direction is just optional. We could just kind of get his opinion. Oh, well, thanks, Jesus. That's a nice idea. I'll take that into consideration as I decide what I'm going to do with my life, right? And here's the question. Is Jesus your Lord or is he your advisor? I'd like your advice on that one, Jesus, but I don't know, right? If you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, the Greek is kurios, and it means master, it means king, it means owner, it means the one in authority. Jesus is king. Jesus is my owner, he is the one I am serving. And so if he is Lord, then he has every right to undo our plans on a daily basis, to come before him and say, now Lord, what is your plan? First Corinthians 15, Paul says, I die every day, every day. I die to myself. Every day I die to my plans. And I'm ready to take up your plan. Why? Because you are Lord. I am the servant. You are the king. And, and as the chosen people of God, as a royal priesthood, dearly loved, can we, can you and I, can we just be as God fearing? Can we just be as righteous as a sorcerer? 
and say that he is Lord and I will not go beyond what he's asking me to do? All right, let's see what happens next. And then 21, so Balaam gets up in the morning, saddles saddles his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. And Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Now, I don't know about you, but my first question that I have here is like, is God flip-flopping on this one? Don't go, go. Okay, now I'm going to stop you. But what we don't see in Numbers is actually what we learn about in Second Peter. We learn about it in Jude. We learn about it in other passages. Is we don't see Balaam's heart here. And so this is how I think it goes, okay? I think, and, and I think you can prove this out with other scriptures on Balaam, that they come to him and Balaam says, all right, I want to make a killing. And so this is what I do. And so he gets ready, kind of doing his thing, and God says, no, uh-uh, you can't do this. And so Balaam's like, okay, all right. And then they come back with more money. And, and so Balaam says, come on, can I please go? I, I, could, I could really just make so much money here. And God says, okay, you can go, but you cannot curse them. And then I think he gets on the road and he starts thinking, I'm gonna make a killing. And maybe I'll just do like a little curse. And I'll just kind of bring up this little idea. And God comes and he reminds me, he's like, no, you cannot curse them. See, because God is concerned with Balaam's intent. And he's concerned with his command. Don't curse Israel, he says the first time. And then he says, speak only what I tell you. And then he says it again, speak only what I tell you. Can you hear me now, Balaam? Well, maybe you'd be able to hear if it comes from a donkey. Let's see. Verse 24. And it says, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Someone needs to teach him how to work with animals. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Isn't this good? And she said to Balaam, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? 29, Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. That is so funny. He's talking to a donkey. Who's the fool? Listen, this is not, it's not a coincidence that God is using a donkey and we're talking about foolishness and wisdom. And there's only one who's saying anything that's making any sense and it's the donkey. And he said, if I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. And this is amazing too, because here we have this great seer who can see spiritual mysteries, see the future. And he says, oh, if only I had a sword. And there's a sword pointed at his chest right now. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. This is, this is really good from a donkey, really, really good relational advice. I'm just, I want to take you to a little side here. So if you run into a conflict, right, you have a problem with a person, what a good question to ask. Are they in the habit of doing this? Wow, he, he really blew his top. Well, is he in the habit of doing this? No. Hmm. 
Maybe something else is going on here. Maybe I need to have grace. Maybe I, I just need to kind of find out what's behind this, right? I mean, what great advice. Or, or like, so she comes and she freaks out. And she's like, wow, everything, and you're like, wow, everything sounds horrible. Is this person prone? Does she usually overreact? Why, yes, she does. Hmm. Maybe I should take this with a grain of salt. So the donkey's telling you to have relationships. It's pretty good. So then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn and he bowed low and he fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. Has God ever opposed your plans? Have you ever been on a reckless plan where God opposes you and stands against you? I mean, it's grace if he does. But I don't want to be on a plan. I don't want to be on a path where God has to send an angel with a sword to stop me. I want to be in his plans. Where was I? 33. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now, you know, the part for me when it comes to, okay, I want to do God's plan. And the part that's hard about laying down my plan, I don't know about you, but it's like, okay, is this God's plan or is it my plan? That's the tricky part. I mean, have you, have you ever thought, okay, I, I thought this was God's plan. I thought he told me to do this, but obviously it wasn't. Or, or have you ever said, this just all seems wrong. This is a mess. And, and then you look and it comes together like, oh my goodness, God was doing that. God was putting this thing together. And there I was resisting actually what he wanted to do. So how do we know? How do we know if it's his plan or if it's our plan? We well, you know the first thing, it's really, really simple. Ask. Just come before him and ask. You know, later on in the, the book of Judges, uh, the Gibeonites, they come and, and they deceive Israel and they make a treaty that they're not supposed to make. And you know what the scripture says? It says, and Israel did not inquire of the Lord. If you just would have asked. And, and it's not because God feels slighted. It's not because he needs to control everything. It's his intention, his connection with you. And he wants to walk it through with you. This is a thing that we're doing together, right? So we just ask. And he's faithful. Listen, he speaks fluent you. He knows how to get it through to you. Jesus, just show me. But here's the second thing you're going to do. If you're going to ask, the second thing you have to do is you have to be honest with your motives. You need to check your motives. We find Balaam's motives. This is how I know, or this is why I think that it was just his heart that was the problem that stopped him from going forward. Because it talks about it actually in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. And Peter's talking about the wicked people around them. And he says, those people have left the straight way and they've wandered on to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer or Beor. And what's his problem? He loved the wages of wickedness. And he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, 
who spoke with a human voice, and I love this, and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, Scripture says God can't be mocked. But you know what else? God can't be tricked. And we need to be honest with our motives here. See, he knows the motives that we don't even know, that we don't even understand. He knows what's really going on in our heart. I mean, has anybody else said to God, Lord, if I, if I win the lottery, then I can tithe all that. Come on. It's not so you can tithe. You're trying to use tithe, so it's because you want to win the lottery. Let's be honest here. If you want to tithe, tithe. What is it you're really going after here? Are you really going after the kingdom of God? Are you really going after obedience? Are you really going after the good of others? Or if you're honest, is it really just about me? It's what I want. It's what I need. It's what I desire. I'll tell you what, I I would rather have the wrong result with the right motives than the right result with wicked motives. That's not how our world does it. But God, when, when he's talking to the prophet Samuel, and Sam is looking for a king. God says, don't look at what they look at. Everybody looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, everybody here on earth, all we care about is the results. Did you get it done or did you not? It's not what God cares about. He says, what were your motives? Why did you do it? Where was your heart as you did it? And, and you know, I, I would rather come before God and say, God, you know, it all fell apart. But, but I, was, I was trying to serve you. I just, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know any better. I did it the best that I could with an honest heart to glorify you. I would much rather do that than say, Lord, look at this beautiful thing that I created. And he would have to say, yeah, and you did it for yourself. And I really didn't have any part of it. Got to be honest with our motives if we want God's plans. The next thing we need to do is just check our expectations. Our expectations get in the way of what God wants to do. He says one thing and we make it bigger and we extrapolate and we kind of create this whole thing around this one little thing that he wants to do. You know, have you ever thought, oh, but I thought God told me to and that didn't work out like I wanted it to. It's often because of your expectations that you built around what God was asking or what God said in his word. It's an amazing uh, couple passages in the Bible with the disciples, they do this exact thing. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus is clearly telling them multiple times, from that time on, Jesus begins to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. The hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He's plainly telling them this is the plan. And then this is incredible. A couple chapters later in chapter 20, on the way, he's on the way to his crucifixion. This is what he does. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and on the way, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, okay guys, this is what we're doing. Right now we are going to Jerusalem and when we get there, the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and they're going to condemn me to death. They're gonna hand me over to the Gentiles. I'm gonna be mocked, I'm gonna be flogged, I'm gonna be crucified, and on the third day, I will be raised to life. Now this is amazing. It's on the way, Jesus says this. And so what happens? They get there, and they seize him, and they mock him, and they flog him, and they crucify him. 
And what do the disciples do? What? What's happening? Right? Like, how did, what's going on? And then he raises from the dead. They go into the tomb, and what do they say? Who stole this body? Where did he go? Isn't that amazing? I mean, Jesus told them this is exactly what's going to happen, and they can't get it. Why? Because of their expectations. What does the Messiah do? See, the Messiah, he's come to save. He's come to set us free. He's come to establish his kingdom. And yes, he does all those things, but he didn't save us from Rome. He saved us from our sin. He didn't free us from the oppressors. He freed us from the devil. And he didn't establish the kingdom of Israel. He established the kingdom of heaven. And they just have no grid for it. And their expectations of how it's going to play out gets in the way of what God already told them was going to happen. God, uh, I'm certain he called me here 14, 15 years ago from Fort Collins. And actually, I I had like, I don't know if you call it a vision or what, but I was driving on I-70. I think I was heading to California. And I'm on I-70 and I'm coming up on Palisade. And I had like this vision or this thought of like just two moving vans. And I was in them. And and you know what? That's exactly what we did a number of years later. It was two, we had a lot of junk. And so it was two moving vans uh, going down uh, I-70 on our, our way here. And then I, as I would, uh, I worked at group publishing in Loveland and I had this corner office uh, on the second floor and I would look out and there was, you know, geese would, were flying southwest from Fort, they were coming to you. They were coming from Fort Collins to Montrose. And I would watch these geese fly over the mountains and I'd be like, oh, that's where I have to go. I knew it. There's this call, this pull. But then my expectations kick in. I'm like, okay, well, I need a job and I got to figure this thing out. And like, okay, where, where am I going to work and how am I going to provide? And I'm, I'm trying to pull all these things together. I'm like, what am I going to do in Southwest Colorado? It's like, I, I could be a hunting guide. I, I better learn how to hunt so I can do that maybe. And I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I'm trying to like kind of work it all out because I, I got to have this, I got to have this all set together before I go. And, and Gina's like, God will take care of it. I was like, I don't know how he will. I don't know what I'm going to do. We're supposed to go. I don't know how to get there. It was actually on a Sunday morning. Brian Yeager, who was the pastor of this church before me, calls me. And he says, uh, ever thought about coming to Montrose? And uh, he hired me on as an executive pastor. And I said, you know what? I, I have thought about that. And God worked it out and God brought me by his plan. God knows what he's doing. And often he'll enter this little box, you know, we've got everything boxed in and he'll come in and he'll kind of use those things in our box to get us out of that box and take us where he really wants to go. And I just want to tell you, listen, if you will come before him and you'll just say, okay, God, I'll do what you want to do. I'm telling you that it's going to work out. I'm telling you he'll get you there. Where? I have no idea where he wants you to go. And we come and we submit our lives and we submit our plan to him. We check our motives and we check our expectations. And God's plan comes to fruition. But here's the thing. If he is Lord, king, master, overseer, owner, if he is Lord, then he has every right to tell you to move 
to a worse neighborhood. If he is Lord, he has every right to tell you to apply for the less fulfilling job. If he's Lord, he has every right to lead you to serve in a less impressive ministry. Okay, but you can be certain. You can be certain that his plans are good. You can be certain that his plans are better. And when you had this expectation and this thought in mind, he actually wanted to work on something else. He wanted to work on your character. He wanted to work on your heart. He wanted to work on your witness. And see, we had this expectation that this is what I wanted, and God said, yeah, that's really nice, but this is what I have for you. Have you ever noticed that there's no place in the Bible where God comes and asks us for our opinion? Right? You know, I'm not really sure what to do. Let's talk this over. You know, can you give me your thoughts on this one so I can figure it out? He already knows. He knows what needs to be done. And you have the promise. You have the promise from God Almighty that his plans are good. He's going to take you to, to exactly where you need to go. And, and so all we need to do is just submit to him. Say, okay, I'm laying down my plans. I'm laying down my expectation. God, just lead me in your path. And so it's okay, well, well, is he saying this way or is he saying this way? Well, I want to encourage you, if you'll just submit to him, if you'll just really bring it before him, he will lead you. And I, I want to encourage you, I've said this before, when choosing the way, the path that you're going to go down, I want to remind you that Jesus is down every single street if you just look for him. So if you pick the very best thing, if you look for him, you'll see Jesus. And if you ended up picking the second best thing, if you look for him, you'll see Jesus. And you know what? Even if you pick the worst thing, if you look for him, you'll see Jesus. Even if you pick the wicked, seedy alley, if you look for him, you can find Jesus. And what matters is that as we decide and as we go forward, that we look for him, that we submit to him. We check our motives and follow them as best as we can. Because the problem is, see, for you and I, it's all about the destination. It's all about the plan. Where are we going? What you doing? What's it going to be like when we get there? And to him, it's all about the way we go. It's all about who we become as we're getting there. So I want to leave you with a little blessing, a little benediction as we're done here. May God wreck our plans. And may he give us his better plan. May we embrace his better plan. May he teach us to seek his will and his ways every day. May he make us sensitive to his leading and may we respond to his leading. And may he undo our great strategies born of our limited insight and give us his better plan born of his omniscient design that he has for our lives. God, take our plans, undo our plans, and give us yours in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.